some of these assets may never have spoken a word if you want to put it in in that uh in that mindset yeah and and most legacy equipment might have talked to itself it might have talked to equipment close to it it might have talked to a system that's built into a silo it might have said some things you know because what we do is we consider process data separate from condition data and we focus on the condition data side of it Hi, and welcome to Conversations with Des. I'm your host, Des Blanchfield, and I have the pleasure of being joined again on the show by Kevin Clark, who's the Vice President of Fluke Excelix. Kevin, welcome to the show. Great to have you on again. Thanks, Des. Good to be back. Now, uh, we were talking earlier on uh, off-air, and uh, we were talking about your role as uh, VP of Fluke Excelix, and you described yourself as uh, someone who supported everyone across uh, product and marketing and client-facing and engagements. You're on the plant floor uh, Effectively, everyone who's a subject matter expert inside the whole Fluke Excelix family, uh, in effect, reports up through yourself. So you have literally got your uh, fingers on the living and breathing pulse of the machine. Great to have you back on the show. Now, when we had you on last week, we got a lot of insight into you personally, your background and your amazing uh, career path, your academic path. So folk who haven't tuned into that yet, please do make sure you jump on the first conversation I had with uh, Kevin, which, believe it or not, was about eight months ago. But as we talked earlier on, it feels like it was yesterday. And get some insights into your personal life and your background. So we won't delve into that now. I'd love to just hear what's new with you currently. What uh, Last time we caught up, we sort of talked about what a day in the life of uh, Kevin Clark might be like at uh, Fluke Excelix. Maybe I can ask you what a week in your life's like currently, because you've got so much going on. Yeah. No doubt about it, Des. You know, this is a this is a space that is just more fun than you can imagine, right? And uh, we just we have the opportunity to to meet with clients face to face, figure out exactly where they are, and then help them from that point upward. We meet clients at every point um, in their journey. And you know, if if you're looking for a, a week in the life of Kevin. Um, I, I tend to get around a little bit when it comes to uh, traveling. I get to see things, you know, around the world and every flavor, every size of organization. And at the same time, deal with the things that are working well in our products and, heaven forbid, things that are not working so well in our product line. And so, you know, we we have that opportunity to make what we make better every single day uh, working with all those groups. It is an exciting challenge. I, I, I know last time we chatted, uh, you referred to the fact that you were doing just a lot of moving around, a lot of traveling. I love the fact that you are, as you mentioned earlier, that you know um, that mix of the internal focus of, of strategy and planning and development and design and integration of the organization side of things and the other side of things, client-facing. That, that to me, seems to be the magic balance that and often when people are leading a large organization or helping grow an organization, they unfortunately become slightly disconnected from their client base or their their market and they they aren't always directly connected i love the fact that you are literally out there as you said before on the plant floor in many cases talking living breathing things and um, i think that gives well i know in in the case of our last conversation it gives you a very real sense of of what's going on since we spoke last time you know you've, you've done a number of really exciting things i'd love to delve into there are a couple of big topics I'd love to run into just to sort of recap on them. The whole thing around connected reliability, what's happening in the manufacturing world around that space and the journey that people are taking, the types of things they need to be considering, particularly when they're starting to adopt an approach to leveraging the industrial internet of things. And then some of the considerations they need to be making when they think about going into that space. 
And then I'd love to circle back into this uh, connected reliability assessment that you've put together and what that actually means and where the value of that is. But you know, of late, I know you, you've done a lot of work around what clients are doing with the industrial internet of things, particularly in the applications of that. I'd love to get some insight on kind of what you've done around that space in, in the sort of last few months since we last spoke, particularly around how they're applying and leveraging uh, capabilities with infrastructure or environments they've got where in, in this case they've either got devices from yourselves or others where they're capturing data or in many cases with your sensors they're generating data and how they're applying that to their industrial internet of things space. We had the opportunity in a number of facilities over the last year to start from ground zero because it was a brand new facility and we've had a number of opportunities like that and at the end of the day you almost you almost call those easy because right? you go in there, everything is brand new, they're all connected, they got great Wi-Fi, they've got people that are engaged and excited, and uh, the culture is not even there yet. You know, So they're, they're brand new plants. And so it's, you get to, to really work closely with folks that are, uh, that are not weighed down by things that have happened in the past 20 years at that particular site. So everything is fresh and new. So the direction I want to go with this particular answer is, the big impact in the industry, and this is the thing that we're really seeing, are in the facilities and in the organizations that are loaded up with legacy equipment. And when you have legacy equipment, it tells you a couple of things. One means I haven't replaced it for a while, so I might be dealing with 1970s, 1980s, and even maybe 1990s type of equipment, which means I've got some connectivity issues. Some of these assets may never have spoken a word if you want to put it in in that uh in that mindset yeah and and most legacy equipment might have talked to itself it might have talked to equipment close to it it might have talked to a system that's built into a silo it might have said some things you know because what we do is we consider process data separate from condition data and we focus on the condition data side of it and so that condition data tells you how an asset is feeling versus process data tells you how it's performing within the parameters of its design. So, you know, when we go to these companies, the large variation of where they're at is almost unpredictable. You go into some of these sites and they've done, they've worked hard to, you know, keep that equipment up, but most of their equipment is on the wrong side of the bathtub curve. <laughs> and so they already know they have they already know that they have issues and so they're hoping for miracles that we can actually come in and save their equipment. And I, I, I would say that's, that's when we tend to get in trouble sometimes is because there's this, uh, a misunderstanding of what the IoT is all about, that it's something that's going to save their equipment. Now, it's, it, it is absolutely something that can help you save your equipment, but the IoT will not save your equipment. And so there's a, there's a level of education that we have to do every single client, whether we're talking mature clients or immature clients, connected clients, disconnected clients, whatever it is that we're dealing with, there is definitely a level of education that has to come about what the IoT is, what value it brings to them. Des, we love when a, when a client calls and says, hey, I want 10,000 of those sensors. But what our salespeople, and this is this is the hard thing to believe, what our salespeople have learned to do over the last couple of years is quickly ask the question, what are you trying to do with those sensors? It's hard for sales to actually say that because they want to just sell 10,000 sensors. But we've learned that asking that hard question 
what are you trying to do with those sensors becomes a really important one when it comes to customer satisfaction and making sure that they're, they've got a good understanding of what they're buying and what that's going to bring to them in, in terms of value. It reminds me of an anecdote where there was an air- aircraft that came out uh, some years ago and they, they slapped 6,000 sensors in each wing and it generated noise and data and pumped it into the front of the airplane. And most airplanes have three different systems. There's the flight management system, there's the navigation system, and the entertainment system, and the uh, management system tends to collect all the data. It reminds me of that story of like, you know, the client says, I want 6,000 sensors in the wing and just, you know, do it. And no one really considered the impact. And it turns out the airplane generated about half a terabyte of data every time it left the ground and landed. And when we did the math just in the U.S. airspace, there's about 87,400 flights a day just domestically in the U.S. alone. When you multiply 87,400 by half a terabyte, it's 43 petabytes of data a day. Impossible challenge to collect and capture and store and move and analyze. And so I I think that approach you're talking about where it's like, you know, what are you going to do with it is such a critical question because had someone asked that of the aviation engineers, they might have said, "Mm, let's just put 10 sensors in the wing for the moment and see if we can get some usable data insights because... Still to this day, seven and a half years later, they haven't fully figured out how to use that data coming from the sensors. Most of it falls on the floor. I mean, it must be exciting to go into clients, as you said before, and you know, the, the things are not necessarily on the right side of the kitchen sink. I've had a couple of scenarios recently where on one side it was the aviation stuff, it's all new and shiny and glossy things. But on the other side, I've had um, somebody in the marine space with inter-island ferries in, in Southeast Asia are these massive uh, marine diesel engines. As you said, they've never spoken anything other than going dunk, dunk, dunk in the engine room. As soon as we started looking mm-hmm. at them, you know, they, they didn't know when last time they'd replaced a bearing. They didn't know the last time you know, even the oil was being changed necessarily until the engineer told them off the top of their head. Putting some sensors on the scene, collecting it, doing some analysis. We only put three things on it to collect it, and it told them a lifetime worth of information. So I think that's a, a, a really powerful thing to do, to go in and, and ask that big question, what are you trying to do with it? Because too often people run headlong into this thing, not really thinking about what's the outcome they want. And I imagine that this comes back to this whole concept of connected reliability that I, I know that you're working hard on and you've recently introduced this whole concept, where when you think about what you're trying to do with it, connected reliability to me seems to unpin a lot of that. We, we've seen a number of things come out of, out of yourself and your team around that concept, But before we dive into it, maybe you could just describe what connected reliability means in your world, in your language. That'll probably be a good place to start because I think one of the biggest challenges with anything, not just Internet of Things, but industrial Internet of Things related is a common vocab and language. You know, if we're not all speaking the same language, then we're kind of often, uh, you know, ended up with gaps. This concept of connected reliability that you've introduced, give us a bit of a brief summary of kind of what it is and what it means, and then we can talk about where it fits. When we created that, we were we were basically trying to create something that, that gave context to what we're talking about, you know, because our, our solution goes from hardware to software to analytics and and all these touch points and, and bringing data together. And, you know, so it's, it's an incredibly difficult conversation if you just try to sit down and talk about it. So, you know, as, from a fluke standpoint, we're, we're in that reliability space. And so when you look at everybody around the world, whether it's industry, whether it's services, uh, whether it's facilities, whatever business they're in, the premise is that we're all equal. But when you meet them, when you see their facility, when you start asking them the, the bigger questions about reliability, all of a sudden you realize not everybody's created equal. So when we go into these sites, they're 
their thought is we're ready. We want those sensors. We want that system. We want that mobile solution. And come to find out they're not connected. And if you're not connected, what are you? Which, you know, it's an easy answer. You're disconnected. That resonates to people because there's there's really no in-between. You're either connected or you're disconnected. And so, you know, in the last two or three decades, we've created a whole bunch of disconnected systems. Really cool with disconnected systems, but they're disconnected nonetheless. And so when we go in, what we try to do is from a connected reliability standpoint, we speak in their language, reliability language, so right. that they can get better prepared uh, for what they're, the journey they're getting ready to start. And so that's really where the connected reliability theme came from, was, was trying to, in a couple of words, what are we all about? You know, I, and I got a couple of statistics that stick in my head, and it was I visited Purdue University. We were we were going through some R and D kind of things, and we're talking sensors and all kinds of stuff. And they had done a study, and I use this data now because it's it's so interesting when when you start thinking about what it means to the industry. And what they what they said was that eighty two percent of all manufacturing all manufacturing jobs will soon require medium to high level um, uh, digital skills. Wow. Then it, but then the next line said, but one in six working Americans don't know how to use email, internet, or have basic digital skills. One in six. Right. So one in six, right. So it's not a huge percentage, but when you think about that, that's still digging pretty deep into the manufacturing space. And they're saying 82% of all manufacturing is going to require a, high, a medium to high level of digital skills, right? But then it, it goes one level deeper, and it says um, in the last 10 years, um, private industry training is down 30%. Wow. So not only are we lacking in skills in manufacturing, we're also not training people in digital and then they, they ended it with one more statistic, and it said one in five executives believe digital transformation projects are a waste of time. So 25 or 20% of our, our executives believe that digital transformation is not the right answer. That's just that's that's frightening, isn't it? Um, yeah, so uh, it's, it's a bit of a wonder that you walk into when you walk into an organization and you don't know where they're at from a connected reliability standpoint and you don't know the skill sets, you don't know um, where they've been and where they now want to go. Um, yeah, it, it, it makes sense to m- make it simple so that people can, can get it quickly and understand how this is going to impact their business. Interesting that you uh, you had that conversation in your alma mater because I remember uh, you uh, attended yeah. Purdue yourself. So it's uh, back in your regional uh, stomping ground. Some of those statistics are frightening. I'm sure we could do a whole show on those. But you know, it it brings me back to this idea that when you know, I imagine when you start talking to these manufacturers about adopting connected reliability and what that journey means and how they develop a vocab and a language around this, some of these frightening statistics in many ways in my mind um uh, uh, potentially quite large hurdles to get through if you walk i can imagine that you walk in a room and trying to even have a conversation about this when potentially you know 20 percent of the audience is sitting there going well digital's a waste of time uh you've not only got to help them through that journey to adopting uh 
industrial Internet of Things capabilities, but you've also got to get them beyond that. What's the commercial and, and otherwise uh, value of even just investing in digital, which must be a heady undertaking <laughs> because that's not always uh, your remit is just education of people around that space. When you think about some of the current state and, and some of the practices that are being uh, you know, taken and, and I mean, you're talking about them being extremely varied. How do you even approach some of that? How, how, how do you tackle that challenge if you walk into an organization and they are at this stage? What are some of the, uh, I guess, the coaching, what, what are some of the conversations that you sort of um, go through to get from, you know, either we love it and we want more of it or, or we don't believe in it and get us there. I mean, that that's a, an extremely broad and varied approach to have to take to get the point where it's like, here's the value proposition we offer, not just as fluke Excelix and our offerings and, and how you can integrate some of your third-party stuff, but even just why to consider uh, putting sensors out there and gathering data or collecting data and, and providing analytics through the Excelix capability. Where does that even start? How do, you, how do you provide that level of coaching from the foundational point? What I typically do, and, and you know, I'm obviously not the one that gets to go in and do this every time, but when I have the, the luxury of, of going in and helping somebody see this for the first time, what I tend to do is, is ask all the, you know, what I consider the right questions, knowing typically what the answer is going to be. I did a presentation as a about a month ago for IoT Exchange for IBM. It was based on the barriers of, of implementing IoT. And, you know, the number one barrier that I see out there is me or you or the guy sitting next to you because we're loaded up. I mean, just absolutely loaded up. I sound like, when I, when I speak, I sound like this guy that's just IoT engaged and I'm completely open-minded and... And everything is half full glass, and but I am loaded up with preconceived notions, preconceived thoughts. Because I was SCADA, I was in SCADA systems, right? I was a maintenance guy, you know. So I have all my notions of what I believe to be true and what I've already tried, and you can't do that because it doesn't work. And I tend to run into that guy on a pretty regular basis when I go to a facility and have that opportunity. Even if it's in a large crowd, small crowd, whatever it is, it's you're going to find those people, and, and typically those are the loudest voice people. You could have 95% of your audience that's bought into IoT gets it ready to move forward, and you have that one loud voice in the room that, that comes to barrier, and that's and loaded up with those notions. So that's to me, that's been one of the biggest barriers that I see every single place I go. I, I even got a name for that guy, and it's it's Sam because of somebody that I knew in my past. Uh, and that's my Sam. Everywhere I go, that's Sam. I love it. And and he wasn't wrong. In a lot of cases, he was not wrong. Highly, highly experienced guy. But his fallback was always, I've tried that. That doesn't work. That's not what we need. And, you know, coming from it now from a technology company, uh, I think most people would believe that I push technology. I'm actually the opposite. I don't believe in buying a whole bunch of technology to solve problems. I believe in in people first, and then technology supplements. Technology enables, and technology improves. And so we have that heart to heart. That's how I approach folks: is is what are you doing now? What works? What doesn't work? And then you ask the tough questions, Des, and this, I'm doing this tongue-in-cheek, like, 
you guys follow the process. <laughs> right. And you start getting all kinds of, yeah, we don't even have a process. <laughs> you know, and, and when you start hearing things, but you don't have a process or you'd have a process, but we never follow that because it doesn't work or, you know, there's just so many answers that, to the process. The process is the number one thing when it comes to making IoT work, right? It's it, that process defines what technology we need to collect the proper yeah. data, yeah. right? And that process defines it. So the way I like to look at it is if all of a sudden everything failed, all my technology died, say the power grid went down or whatever it was, and all of my technology failed, does my process still work? And if it does, it's a good process. I like that. If it does, then we left technology in control. That brings us back to that people, process, and technology framework, doesn't it? Because... yeah, absolutely. Technology doesn't work if the, the, the process doesn't work, and the process doesn't work if the people don't understand it and know how to apply it. You reminded me of a conversation I had with an amazing lady who's the both the chief digital officer and the chief data officer for one of the largest refrigeration plant uh, maintenance companies in Southeast Asia. And she had this question for me that you kind of uh, reminded me of uh, around this whole space of having these conversations with your SAMs, as it were. Um she was completely ready to to start investing in awareness, education, training, and development of capability, building a lab. The big question she hit me with, which really just literally knocked the wind out of me because I, 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 I wasn't necessarily not prepared for it, but I wasn't ready to sort of answer it in detail. She said, um, you know, how, how do we know when we're ready? What, what do we need to look for? Well, what are the triggers for an organization like ours who maintain billions of dollars of refrigeration for shopping malls and uh, small retailers in the corner, the 7-Elevens that were. How do we know when we're ready? What's what's the trigger that we need to look for? Or what are the triggers to start adopting this leveraging of, of IIoT? And, and I imagine that must be something that you come across on a daily basis that customers look to you saying, we don't know when to start and, and where to start. What you know? And so you know, I spent a whole day with her in the end, just canceled the rest of my day's appointment and said, well, let's, let's just walk through these fundamental components. You know, what are the concepts? What are the challenges? Where's the business value? And it went back to those things you're talking about, people process technology and, and a readiness, readiness assessment in many ways, which we'll come back to because I know you're doing a lot of um, connected reliability assessment work. But yeah, I mean, what does that look like? You know, when, when you get to that point, as I did with this amazing lady who had two roles, chief digital and chief data officer, um, and she was being asked by the board, well, when are we going to be ready? When should we start adopting the industrial internet of things in our business? That must be something that you come across every day. Uh, I'd love to get some insight into some of those conversations. Yeah, I was waiting for this one. You know, and this is the way I'll start it, Des, is most organizations out there, I won't say all because I, I know better than that, but most organizations are creating their strategy for IoT based on a pilot that they're having with Fluke or having with someone else. So they're mixing together a pilot, education, budget and throwing it into a pilot and if that pilot works that's their iot strategy which is backwards in in my mind uh strategy first uh pilot next but the problem is is that we have so many individuals out there that just have no idea what it means to have a strategy to understand when it's time to adopt um, I mean, the first thing you'd want to tell them, uh, you know, if, if 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 you didn't have a few people skills, the first thing you'd tell them is 
adopt now or be out of business tomorrow. <laughs> uh, that should be a T-shirt. <laughs> you're right. <laughs> right, exactly. Um, but but the, the the biggest challenge that we have is is when we meet people, they have a genuine interest in Fluke and what we're doing, and they know it's the IoT. They know it's relevant to their assets. So why not? Right, and then and then a the feather in the cap. The, the problem is, is if, if they don't have direction, if they don't understand why they're doing it, if they don't have the, uh, the, the performance indicators that are telling them, this is what I must do um, in order to be more effective, uh, more predictive, uh, proactive in my business, uh, minimizing my costs, and you know, all the things that, that matter, it's doomed to fail. Without a doubt, it is doomed to fail because there's no ongoing strategy. I see lots of companies that are basing their expectations on the hype of IoT and not on the problems that they're trying to solve, right? So the the problems they're trying to solve is how do I detect when my asset is getting ready to fail and then how do I minimize the impact of that failure within my business? That's really what they're trying to solve when you're building a Luke Excel X system. You're so yeah. right about that process. Um, uh, you know, I see that time and time again where uh, you know, the, the order of approach appears wrong on paper when you sort of think about running a, a pilot in a lab and then you know, getting some basic education across the organization and forming that language and vocab and then figuring out how to get some funding and, and deploy a budget of some form to support it commercially. And then building the pl- you know, the strategy of how we want to approach it, and then a plan, and to deploy it, because that's the natural order of things that we've always done. Is you know learn a bit about it, get hands on, whatever. But I, I completely agree that um, it should be the other way around, because that's how we generally run businesses: build a strategy, build a roadmap, create a plan. And it brings us back to that concept of you know what do they say the. Uh, Failure to plan is a plan to fail or something to that effect. I mean, that's the, the nature of humans, isn't it? That they, you know, I, I guess this is one of the dangers of charging into the Internet of Things before we're ready is that sometimes we do need to get a language and a vocab and we think we can do it ourselves. But I guess at the risk of sounding like a sales pitch, often my comment to people is, well, don't try and figure it out yourself. You know, if you're an airline, if you're a retailer, if you're in manufacturing, if you're in robotics, uh, whatever the case may be, if you're a telco, be that business don't necessarily be a specialist in IoT, find the right partner. I guess this is where, in my mind, it seems important, and again, at the risk of being a sales pitch, um, I, I, it makes sense to me to, to, to come and see you and your team and say, Kevin, can the Fluke Excelix team come and have a conversation about us and, and help us build that vocabulary, help us build that language? How do we approach building a strategy rather than having to do it all ourselves because that's not our core business? I mean, that, that to me seems sensible, is that something that people are open to, do you think, though? Or, or are we still stuck in that world where people want to try and figure it out themselves before they reach out? No, they, that's, that's really what pushed us into developing the connected reliability assessment is, is that mindset. Is when they came to us and they asked, you know, can we buy 10,000 sensors? And we haven't had that many asks for 10,000 sensors, but, you know, <laughs> that's all it's our dream. One can hope. 10, <laughs> right. I'm sure it's only a matter of time, though, man. <laughs> exactly. But it, it, it's typically a wish on their side when they say that, because the ones that come to us and say we want 10,000 sensors, this generally has 
little planning ahead of it. The ones that come to us and they want to learn, they want to go through the process, they want to understand, they're looking at others. That's when we know that we have somebody that either has a strategy or they have a direction that they're, that they're going. Somebody is asking questions, somebody is not afraid of education, somebody is not afraid of being wrong. Those types of situations are where we see a lot of success. And, you know, Fluke is as transparent as we possibly can be, and then we expect that to be out of our clients because that is a, a very true point for IoT. Nobody knows it all in IoT. Right. It is, it is changing day by day by day. You know, and we've been diving into this AI and machine learning and, and robotics and natural language processing and all these other things. And what we learn is that there are no definitive answers in any of that. And so this is a growing model. And so what's best is when you learn where we at today. And we kind of kill that whole idea that this will solve all of my problems. We get that way too much where clients, you know, that's just the feeling that, well, it's artificial intelligence. It's just going to learn and get smarter, right? And eventually it'll just solve all the problems that I have. And so you have to, you have to help the client really understand that your AI system is only as smart as what you teach it. And, what, and the experience that you give it and the quality of data that you let it analyze. And, and then if it's recommending actions and you don't take those actions, the AI system learns that, right? And so it's, it's you're getting to the point where we go back to the old saying, bad data in, bad data out, Yeah. right? And you're going to get the same thing from AI systems, right? If you, if you teach a child poorly when they're little, they're going to behave poorly when they get older. Same thing with, with an AI system. If you, if you give it poor data, it's going to give you poor results. This is nothing different than what we've done in the past where, where we still have to build in quality uh, systems and quality information and quality expectations and, and then maintain the system. And so that's why I say it's, it's an education every single time that, you know, we can't come in and voila you know, abracadabra and everything else, and, you know, that all of a sudden they are predictive in everything that they do. So it's a, it's, it's a balancing act and really getting clients to, to understand where they are, and that's where the assessment comes in, understanding where they are, and then the next part is the reliability assessment, and that's something we haven't talked about, and that's where we're we going. So walk us through the, the journey. I mean, I think, you know, as we mentioned in the last time we caught up, and, and, and I recommend, again, listeners do this you know, while, while they're listening or later on with a coffee. And, and you know, I always recommend people jump on your website under fluke.com, go through, uh, and particularly Fluke Excelix, and look at the framework. But also go through some of the reference material there because it helps them get started around the concept of what is connected reliability, what does it do, the, the, the whole uh, you know, data collection component and, and ensuring that's a cohesive sort of end-to-end thing and how that empowers teams. There's an amazing resource that you've got online there. Walk us through that whole journey of, let's say you come along, you come to my organization, we're like, you know, Kevin, we don't know where to start. We don't know where we are on the maturity curve. We, we don't know if we're ready for this. Um, we're not even sure we've got a language and a vocab to talk about this in a consistent form. What does that connected reliability assessment that you've developed 
journey look like? You know, where do they start? What, what's that engagement with you look like? What's the time frame? What should people listening think about when they think, well, I, we'd like to do this. We'd like to reach out, say, Kevin, run us through this process, bring your team on at Fluke Excellus. We want to do the connected reliability assessment ourselves. How do they get started with that? Where does it all begin? What does that journey look like? And, and, and what pops out at the end? It's actually a shorter journey than what, what you would envision. We do an interview, questionnaires and things like that. Of course, that interview and questionnaire is not, is not quite as cool as the one that you do here. But it's really defining the tone of their organization, not just the, the connected piece, not just the technology. It's really just to kind of get a tone of the organization. Right? So it's going to ask some key questions about the culture. It's going to ask some key questions about the types of equipment that are utilized and the skill levels and some other things. And technology, obviously, is going to be uh, part of the questionnaire. And what we tried not to do was make it a purely technology assessment, because I could go I could go to um, any of the distributors or any of the electrical or, or um, uh, consulting companies like that and say, hey, I need, I need you to go in and, and assess whether they have good connectivity or not. That's different than what we're doing. Yes, we're assessing whether they have good connectivity. We're assessing the types of reliability systems they already have in place, whether they're old systems, whether they're new systems, whatever they are. It's the asset management system that they utilize. It's how do you, how do you perform the, the ground level stuff like, you know, failure modes of action criticality analysis or root cause failure analysis. How are they performing those? Is it manual? Is it through a system? You know, how is that working? You know, how much have you taken it across the organization? So you, we'll go through that level, but then there's also an on-site piece where our experts will come on-site for a few days, visit, uh, see the equipment, understand the atmosphere, uh, get key contacts, ask questions, engage in conversation and all those things. And then it's we go back and go to work. And with those contacts, we ask questions and, and, and that. But but at the end of it, then, then what we present back to them is here's where you are. If we were to come in here today uh, with a connected solution, here's the gaps that we have. Here are the things that you need to work on. Fluke is not going to be that company that comes in and tells you, here's what you need to go buy, or here's the bandwidth that you need, or here's you know all those technical things. There, Fluke is going to help you understand from a reliability standpoint where are your gap, where are the what are the things that you need that are going to make you an effective, connected environment for predictive maintenance, for analytics, for finding failures before they actually act. And so that's been meaningful to an awful lot of clients. They just, they, they latch onto that because it gives them so much information, ground floor information that most of them have no idea. Because a bunch of maintenance guys, a bunch of directors of maintenance, maintenance managers, reliability engineers, that's that's not their place. That's not that's not what they're looking for. They're looking for those answers, and, and uh, Fluke can give them to them. One of the big things I come across, uh, and, it, and it sounds like this uh, whole journey they're taking people on through this connected reliability assessment uh, approach, is that the board's always looking for a business case, and they're looking for some sort of cost model. They're looking for business justifications, and there's all these tick lists that, that you need to cover off. And it seems to me that what you've managed to do here is help people do all and more of that as well as generate some awareness and education and, and so forth around, you know, what does it do and, and how does it improve what we're currently doing and 
whether a new or an old legacy player, you know, what existing programs we got that, that we can tap into this. More importantly, why do we even need this whole thing of the industrial Internet of Things and, and you know, how does it apply to Industry 4.0? Some of these really big questions that come up on a regular basis. But underpinning all that, it seems to me that what falls out of this in a, in a logical sense is that once you've done this reliability assessment and you've ingested all the data and provided that sort of, you know, in a, in a package back, that essentially surely forms, and I'd love to sort of get your thoughts on this, surely it forms in the, the, the basis of their... Uh, you know, business justification, their business case, their cost model, some of the the, the general strategic thinking and roadmap yep. they need to then go back to the board and say, you know, we've we've done this connected reliability assessment with the team from uh, with Kevin and his team from Fluke Excelix, and here's what we learned about ourselves. But more importantly, here's what we learned about where we are in relation to the rest of the industry, potentially our competitors. That must be a bit of an aha moment, a bit of a eureka moment for them when you've done that and you hand it back and you sort of do that reverse briefing and they go. Okay, um, <laughs> are you available Monday? Yeah, right, right, right. And you know we get that a lot, Des. But but here's here's the uh, here's the internal discussion that we have at the at the Fluke when we were putting this together. You know, we got the question. So what if we go through this whole process? We educate them and they go with somebody else. Yeah. Um, you know, the answer to that is great. At least we help that client understand where they're at and now they can make better decisions um and we have confidence that they'll be back that's right the, because the fluke is building fluke is building through excelling yeah that's the age-old that? issue isn't it because i mean that's the case with you know human resources and, and human capital management or hr you know employing people and stuff it, that's always an age-old question of you know well, why are we spending so much money investing in our staff and training them you know we'll train them all up over five years and then they'll leave and then there's that quite, that classic famous quote that says, "Well, what if we don't train them and they stay?" <laughs> um, right. But I, uh, exactly. no, I, I I think that's exactly. a, I think that's a fundamental thing that um, I've gleaned from yourself and, and your team from the fluke point of view. You, you had a great line that uh, I wrote down from our last catch up, and I'm going to find it here. But you you said something to the effect that the industry you're in doesn't really exist yet, and you're still uh, essentially building and developing it, it's still being created. And I think. That goes to the heart of what you're just saying now, and that is that, you know, you may invest that time and effort and resource to put it, and then maybe, you know, whether they do it immediately or they go somewhere else. But if you don't start doing that, this industry is not going to even flourish in the first place. So I think that's a critical thing that you're doing there. Um, I would be amazed myself, personally, if someone goes through this journey that they don't bring you back in, because I'm not seeing anybody else do this from that sort of approach. One of, one of the last questions I'd like to put to you, because I know there's a, l- a lot of big things that are moving in here. I'd like to sort of do a wrap up around this idea of we, we know some of the bigger things that are moving are going to take a lot of time. There's sort of three to five years in this space. One of the areas that I see some of the biggest gains are factories and in industrial spaces, and particularly smart factories or factories of the future. I'd love to get your insights around where we're, we're at currently in the space and where you see that an industrial group being. I mean, when we think about where the biggest shift's going to be, a lot of people talk about factories. They talk about uh, intelligent factories, smart factories, and where Industry 4.0 is going to take us. Um, I would love to get you to do a bit of crystal ball gazing for me, if you can, to sort of look at, well, where are we currently and what are you seeing out there as far as you know the clients you're working with currently or organizations you might be doing your connected reliability assessments with as a a conversation starter. 
But in three to five years, in this big space manufacturing that underpins everything, it's almost like the engine room of the planet, where are we going to be in three to five years in your mind? And, and what are some of the key things they should be talking about today? What should be almost a standing agenda item on boardroom uh, meeting agendas each month as to what do they need to be thinking about? What are the big shifts that are coming about? What are you seeing out there? And where do you think we're going to be in three to five years? If I'm right in three to five years, make sure you tell everybody if I'm not, just <laughs> Great the tape, right? <laughs> when I look at the industry, and when you and I talked eight months ago, nothing's really changed. Some of the technology's gotten better. We've got some new theories. We've got some interesting stuff out there. But we're still at, at the infancy of, of IoT futurized ma- manufacturing. It is absolutely at the infant stage. And we're not going to get out of that anytime soon. We are going to spend a lot of time this is a hard thing to, to say inside of one of our boardrooms at Fluke, right? Because we, we invest an awful lot into our clients. We invest a lot into our products to make them seamless, to make them, them work in a lot of different situations. And, and we consider different integration and standardizing our, our, our connectivity. And, you know, so we invest a lot, but yet we're still in this infant stage. So we're not seeing that the big bang. Right, the, somebody calls and says they want ten thousand sensors. Right, you you're not seeing that yet because we are in that infant stage. What I envision is that this is going to be one of those things that just pops because we're going to spend a lot of time educating. There's going to be article after article after article, podcast after podcast after podcast. It's just going to get beat into the heads that hey, I'm at an auto manufacturer today. And then I'm at one of their competitors tomorrow, and I see the distinct difference in what one is doing versus the other, and you can just feel the difference. It's not as impactful. I have a feeling as those differences in the level of technology, the level of strategy, the level of focus that some have over others isn't going to show up today or maybe not six months, maybe not in a year, but in three years. I think you're going to see a couple of kind of blow you out of the water companies folding because of the competition changed so dramatically because of the technology. And it's, it's almost going to catch people off guard. And then you're, 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 those of us that are living in the IOT every single day are like, dude, we told you and we told you and we told you it's coming. And I just have a feeling that we're going to hit a year and it's just, you're going to see time and time again where technology just absolutely took over and and uh, and made the big difference between two companies that were considered basically equal just a few years before and so like I said I, I, I think we're going to see some uh, step change over the next year or two but within let's say maybe three years or so maybe the four years, I think you're going to see dramatic uh, change in competition and who focused on the technology and utilizing that technology in a way that that made the massive difference. I, I think people can take that very insight to the bank because we've seen that in other industries. We've seen cloud. I think we've we've had a proof point with cloud where I think it was about six years. I remember standing on a on a milk crate styled. A platform yelling at federal and state government saying, cloud's coming, get ready for it. No, 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 we, we, we do it ourselves. 
Um, you know, then I said, cloud's going to be built into everything. Get ready. And then all of a sudden it's like, cloud is built into everything. <laughs> you should be ready. Now you can't do certain things, you know, like the days of getting a, a CD-ROM installing a PC and installing Microsoft Office. I mean, firstly, we don't have CD slots in our PCs anymore. And, um, you know, that isn't, it isn't a thing you do anymore. You register online and poke in a credit card and you download the software and installs and it activates in the cloud. There is no way yeah. to get that capability without cloud. It's built into the DNA. And I, you're, you're in absolutely bang on the money in that because we know that's happened in other industries. And I, I, I think the challenge now, as you alluded to there, is the timing. Um, and I think this is where one of the things that you mentioned when we caught up about eight months ago in the first conversation, um, which was just so insightful, was that you said something to the effect, and I'm going to paraphrase it, so don't quote me, but you effectively said something to the effect that the time is now. Like, you know, there really isn't a time to sit on your hands and wait for this to happen to you because that digital disruption hasn't worked well for other industries. You know, retail got disrupted because, uh, you know, Blockbuster was shipping CDs and then Netflix started shipping CDs but also did it online. Um, now, I, I think that insight you've just provided is, is probably one of the things that I would love people to literally print and put on their wall and walk past every day at the water cooler realizing that this is a freight train coming at them whether they're joining that conversation or not i think for me the time for them now is to reach out to yourself kevin and your team at fluke excelix and go we don't know where we're at run us through this connected reliability assessment help us get that conversation started um help us realize when we need it going because i think the time is absolutely now and that's definitely what i'm seeing on the ground here that you know people are going from being interested to concerned and now slightly nervous that, that their competitors or the rest of the industry is already doing something and they're not. Final question for you. Um, what's the best approach for people to to start to get across some of this? I mean, obviously, you know, we want them to visit your website, maybe some details on that, um, join the conversation on digital and social. Uh, how, how, do people, how are people approaching you currently? What's the best route for them to reach out to yourself and your team and, and Fluke Excelix to sort of get that conversation started, get underway, do some self-awareness initially and then then book some time with your team yeah i mean i i think you just laid it out you did a really good job oh, um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, the com uh website is is full of information but you know and, and just just for everybody out there too that when organizations call and they want to learn more that typically comes right into my group and so we're we're engaged immediately with a client. So we set up time with them. We get on a call. We help them understand uh, what Luke Excelix is all about. We help them understand the products. We help them understand some things that might give them some insight into where they are and how this might fit for them. Because this could be a very mature client asking uh, very mature questions. It could also be somebody that has little to no technology uh, knowledge and they're starting from scratch. You know, so we, we see them all, but most every request, uh, will come to my group and we'll handle it in some way, shape or form. Our salespeople are knowledgeable enough. My team trains not only people out in the industry, they also train all of our salespeople on the phone. So they help them at least have a, a good level of information and knowledge to help that client right away when they call. I think talking to somebody at uh, Luke Excelix is a really good idea because it, it brings some clarity uh, almost immediately. Kevin, it's been fantastic to catch up with you. Thank you so much for making time. Uh, I really appreciate it. I, it's always great to have you on the show. We had a great conversation last time. I know we will again next time. Uh, I look forward to having you on the show again soon. 
look forward to it. We uh, we'll see how much it changes uh, in the next eight months. <laughs> Hopefully we'll get you on sooner than that. Uh, I can't believe it's been eight months already. It seems like yesterday, but that's been great. And you've been uh, a gracious uh, guest to be on the show, and I appreciate your time, and I uh, hope you have a fantastic afternoon. You as well. Thanks, Des.